Alrighty, how's everybody doing this morning? <clears throat> yeah, love to hear it. Alright, so if you've been with us the last little bit, we, be, we kind of finished out our series on God, guys and girls about dating and relationships. And here this coming Wednesday at Amped, we're going to kick off our next series for the month of April. But today we kind of wanted to take a pause from a series and kind of just single in on a topic And so as you see on the screen behind me today, we kind of want to talk about this idea of temptation. And if you have your Bible this morning, we're going to be in Genesis 25. Genesis 25. Um, If you don't, that's okay. The words will be on the screen behind me for you to kind of follow along as we walk through this topic. Who here enjoys fishing? Who here is like fishing is a hobby of mine, a passion, or... If I can catch and eat the fish, I'll go and fish for it. I don't know about you, but I, love, I, I don't love fishing. I enjoy fishing, but I don't enjoy freshwater fishing. I enjoy saltwater fishing. I enjoy the idea of going out on a boat, hanging out with some friends, dropping a line in the water, and then just chilling. So, I mean, someone can say, is that even fishing? Um, but I enjoy that. I do. But can we be honest about fishing? Fishing is really simply just a game of lies, isn't it? Yes, it is. You're a liar. Didn't stage that. Because what you are being taught in fishing, right, is you take a hook and you try your absolute best to disguise the hook, disguise the danger, so that a fish sees it in the water and thinks, wow, that's really good looking. And then they bite into it. Fishing is really just a game of lies, of lying to the fish. I remember there was a time that there were a couple of us on a boat together fishing. Um, we all dropped line down, three of us down one side of the boat. And I was the first in line, and this fish comes up, gets on my hook. I'm reeling it in. It's a big fish. And then right as it gets to the surface, it breaks away and swims away. And then literally not two seconds later, it swims to the next person's hook, catches on the hook. Friend starts reeling it in. It's huge. The same fish it looked like gets to the surface and breaks away. You can imagine the third fish, the third time, this fish gets hooked, starts reeling it in. My final friend, they got it in the boat. This thing was massive. And I kind of thought to ourselves, like, this stupid fish. Like, it got hooked by a hook, got away, hooked by another hook, got away, and then still came back a third time to another hook. How stupid do you have to be to get away from something dangerous and then come back to it again. Like, how? And we might think that about fish, but aren't we like that sometimes? We see something really, really amazing, like, you really want this Twinkie? And we allow the delicious-looking Twinkie to disguise us from the fact that sometimes there's danger lurking inside the goodness that we're tempted towards. And so we bite into it thinking that this is just going to be another delicious thing. We are tempted to bite into it. And we might think fish are stupid for continuing to come back after it's hurt someone 
has hurt them. But for being honest, we all have scars in our smiles from where we have bit into something tempting and latched it to us, gotten away, and then come back again and again and again and again. But isn't that how the devil gets us, right? Genesis 3 tells us that the serpent, the devil, was more crafty than anything in creation. He is craftier than you. He doesn't just walk in the door and say, hey, how's it going? Do you want to ruin your life today? Great. Here's my 10-step plan for me to destroy you in five years. No. He comes in the side door. He comes in through the window. And he disguises his tactics. He's crafty in that way. Going back to the fishing analogy, you don't just go out on a boat, take a megaphone and say, "Um, attention, all fish in the water. Um, I'm going to throw this hook in the water. You're going to bite onto it. It's going to go through your gill. I'm going to yank you out of the water, beat you over the head with a stick, and throw you in a frozen cooler where you are going to slowly suffocate to death. No, you you don't do that. What you do instead when you're fishing is... You look in your tackle box and you think, ooh, that, that looks dangerous. Like, that's going to kill them. No. Maybe, no. Ah, this guy. And the fish is just like mesmerized, right? Like, whoa, that looks good. You don't just throw a plain hook in the water. You disguise it to make it look desirable. And so today we're going to talk about temptation. We're going to talk about this idea that the devil hides temptation in things that look desirable. And today we're going to look two ways that temptation can creep into our lives. Two ways that temptation can creep into our lives. We're going to start in verse 27 of Genesis 25. And read forward. And so if you want to go ahead, if you haven't already turned to 27, go ahead and start turning there. Let me set this up for you a little bit. There's a man named Isaac. Remember, son of Abraham, Isaac. He married a woman named Rebecca. Rebecca and Isaac had two, well, first off, Rebecca wasn't able to have kids for the longest time. But eventually the Lord allowed her to have kids and they ended up being twins. And it says that when it came time to give birth, that Esau came first and Jacob second. And so now we jump into our passage in verse 27 on the screen behind me. It says, when the boys grew up, Esau became an expert hunter, an outdoorsman. But Jacob was was a quiet man who stayed at home. Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for wild game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau came in from the field exhausted. He said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stuff because I'm exhausted. That is why he was also named Edom. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, Esau said, I'm about to die. So what good is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore to Jacob. I'm sorry, I was not keeping up with that. I apologize. Um, Swore to Jacob and sold him his birthright. Then Jacob gave bread and lentil stew to Esau. He ate, drank, got up, and went away. So Esau despised his birthright. Like I said, here's where I want to take you today. 
through the story of Jacob and Esau that we just read, I want to show you two things about temptation. The first is that temptation makes us desire things that aren't ours. Temptation makes you desire things that aren't yours. And then secondly, that temptation makes you do whatever it takes to get what you desire. Let's look again at the life of Jacob. Jacob, as some might say, was a mama's boy. He enjoyed doing things around the home, being inside with his mom. He says, the scripture says he was a quiet man, but now Esau was an outdoors man. He hunted, he fished, he brought in dinner for Jacob and Rebekah to cook for the family. Now an observation, if I may. You could see that Jacob, while he loved hanging out with his mom, that's what he loved to do. There might have been a sense of jealousy towards Esau. Why do I say that? Because Isaac, it says, showed favoritism to Esau. It says that Isaac loved Esau. It doesn't say that he hated Jacob, but it says that he loved Esau because of what he was able to do. And so in a way, like I said, he says that Isaac showed favoritism because of Esau's abilities. And what about you in the room today? Do you find yourself jealous of the attention your siblings are getting because maybe they get better grades than you or because they're more athletic than you, because parents give more attention to them because of something they do? I, along with probably every guy in the room, can admit that, yeah, the love of a mother is so important to a young boy's development. Like, it is so important. But the affirmation that a father gives to his son will have major consequences, major outcomes, whether that's neglect to affirm or to affirm. And in this story, we read that Esau was born first, and that Isaac loved Esau. Like I said, when favoritism towards a sibling is shown, the other sibling will find themselves wanting it and do whatever it takes to get that attention. But see, that's what temptation does to us. A thought enters our mind. We allow that thought to dwell longer than it should. We let it pitch a tent, build a campfire, hang out in our mind, and then eventually that thought will turn into an action. And so it does with Jacob. Esau comes in hungry from his work and sees that Jacob has made this delicious bowl of stew. Probably had all of his favorite ingredients in it. Jacob knows how Esau likes his stew. And just like that, with all of the thoughts, all of the resentment that Jacob had been feeling towards his brother, he acts. He says he would trade this stew for Esau's birthright. And this was, like we said, Esau's right because he was the firstborn. It was not meant to be Jacob's. But that's what temptation does. It makes us desire things that aren't yours. 
makes you desire things that aren't yours. And the second thing the temptation does is it makes you do whatever it takes to get whatever you want. We see this very important understanding of temptation when we look at this story because looking back to our passage, it says that Esau was exhausted from working in the field. So he's been out chopping wood, getting crops, hunting, getting prepared to, prepare, like to, to provide for his family. He was exhausted. There's this weird thing that our family did when I was growing up. Honestly, I hated it as a kid, but I'll probably do the same thing to my kids one day. Whenever it's a nice Saturday, it's family work day. We're all going to go out to the lawn. We're all going to rake leaves. We're going to trim the bushes. We're going to sweep the porch. And then we're going to have fun. We're going to play some games and stuff like that. And I remember there's this time that that was happening, and I was, I was so over it. I was like, it is hot. I am miserable. I am literally melting. I have never felt the weather so hot. If only I could just get a little bit of water. And so I go and I beg, Mom, Mom, please let me inside. Just let me feel the AC for five minutes so I don't die. And my mom looked at me and said, Josh, you're being ridiculous. It's only been 15 minutes. And it's only 70 degrees outside. What's the point to that? Was I really exhausted and about to die? No. And then you have to ask the question, was Esau really about to die? Because this was what he did his entire life. He always hunted. He always provided. He always did the work of the field. So was he really about to die? You could question, no, probably not. But in his mind, he was convinced he was about to die and that he would do anything for relief. And here's the reality when we are tired and when we are hungry. We are willing to eat whatever is most accessible to us in that moment. You eat junk when you're hungry. You're susceptible when you're hungry. You try to eat stuff that won't satisfy you when you're hungry. And worst of all, you will do whatever it takes. You will say whatever it takes. And you will give whatever it takes to find nourishment when you're hungry. And let me tell you, just in case we're not clear about it, we're not just talking about food. When you are hungry for attention and affirmation from your parents, from your peers, from your teachers, you will do whatever it takes to say, I just want to be noticed. And sometimes that leads you to feed on things that are not good. Sometimes that leads you to consuming affirmation from the wrong sources. And instead of believing what God says is true about you, you start to believe what the world tells you is true about you. And you take it in thinking this is, this is good because I'm so hungry and I just need a little nourishment. We will do whatever it takes. Esau gave up so much for so little. This man gave up his birthright, his entitlement to his father's inheritance. In other words, he gave up extended satisfaction in what he had for immediate gratification. He said, I don't care about all the blessings I'm going to get in the long run because I need help right now. 
We are taking our health, we are taking our joy, we are taking our freedom, something that will last us forever, and we are giving it away for immediate gratification. But here's the catch. It will always require you to come back for more because that's what temptation does. Don't believe the lie you are being tempted with today that the things the world is offering you will actually fulfill you and satisfy you. They might in the moment, but then you're going to want to keep coming back again and again. And this is what makes you make bad decisions. Esau thought he was about to die, like we said. He was starving. He was exhausted. And when you are feeling like you are hungry for something, when you are desiring something deeply, you are willing to give whatever it takes to get that thing. And you're not thinking about the long-term consequences of giving in. Someone once told me, though, Josh, if you're not hungry for God and what he has for you, maybe it's because you're too full of yourself right now. And so, I have a question for you. Are you too full of yourself today? Are you too full of what the world is feeding you? Are you too full of the temptation the devil puts in your roadblocks? Are you too full of yourself to be hungry for what God is openly and freely offering you today? A great man by the name of Yumzu. Don't get caught up on that. He says, the war is won before it is even fought. The war is won before it is even fought. And in our fight against temptation, we can say that the battle against temptation is won or lost before it even happens. And so how do we fight temptation? How do we achieve victory? We have to pre-decide that we are going to fight temptation before we ever encounter it. Because the reality is, is if we wait until we are tempted, it is most likely that we are going to fall into it. And so two things we have to pre-decide in order to have success over temptation. And that is first, move the line. Move the line. Throughout the Old Testament, we can find multiple instances where people did not set up good boundaries. They didn't move their line and then found themselves in sin. Look at Adam and Eve in the garden. Look at Samson and Delilah. Look at David and Bathsheba and so many more. So today, we have to move the line. What does it mean to move the line? So say we have a line right here, and to step over here is sin against God's will. But to stay on this side of the line, yeah, it's, it's not that big of a deal. Like, we're good. Like, we're not sinning, but we're probably not living the best life we could. And so, anybody in the room love sappy movies? Anybody in the room? Anybody? You can be honest. Safe space. I enjoy sappy movies. I'm a fan of them. I love them. Ask my wife. She'll tell you the same thing. She probably thought I was a little weird when she first met me. 
Say, wait, he doesn't like things with explosions and guns. I, I love those things too, but man, I'm a sucker for a sappy movie, let me tell you. And there's one that I watched back in college. And this, the guy says, one of the main characters says this, the man has cancer. And as he's talking to one of our main characters in the movie, he puts a cigarette in his mouth and he says, they don't actually hurt you unless you light them. It's a metaphor. You put the thing that does the killing right between your teeth, but never give it the power to kill you. Can I just say how stupid that is? Since when have we become a culture that says, how close can I get to sin without actually sinning? How close can I get to hurting myself without hurting myself? A pilot in a jet plane doesn't fly and be like, oh man, there's a tower. Hey everybody, we're going to see how close I can tip the wing right to this tower before we crash and burn and die. No. You make sure you give enough distance. So we're going to move the line in our temptation today. This is the line that says sin. And this is the side that says we're not sinning, but we're not living great. We're going to make a line way over here so that we don't ever get close to crossing into sin. So that way, if you do maybe stumble, if you do a little, like struggle a little bit and you step over the line, well, guess what? At least you're not still sinning. You have this buffer between you and sin. This is the boundary we put in place to make sure we don't cross the boundary that leads to sin. If you are dating someone in the room or about to date somebody, we just got through this series, you don't make a boundary that just says we won't have sex. You say, you put the boundary further back that says we won't be in a room alone together. We won't close the bedroom door and be alone. We won't share a blanket with someone unless other people in the room. You make those boundaries so that if you were to stumble in them a little bit, at least you have not gone all the way over the edge into sin. You move the line. You have to pre-decide to move the line. Because if you don't make that boundary before it happens, and then you guys find yourself in a room by yourself, you're not going to be like, let's be responsible adults and let's leave this room right now. No. You're there. The temptation has already happened. You have to pre-decide to move the line. And the second thing you have to pre-decide is take your thoughts captive. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10.5, we demolish arguments and pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. What he is saying here is so important. If we are truly to overcome our fleshly desires, he says, if we are to live a life striving for holiness, then we have to take our thoughts captive. What does that mean? It means whenever, you are, whenever a desire strikes, whenever we find ourselves in the moment of temptation, we stop and we say, no, this is not honoring God. You take your thoughts captive. You say this might offer me some immediate joy, some immediate fun, but the long-term consequences are not worth it. And you say, you take your thought captive, and it says, you make it obedient to Christ. You ask yourself, is this honoring God? You ask yourself, or you, you have to be willing to take your thought captive and say no to your desires. Listen to me, setting boundaries are a must in order to achieve freedom from temptation. 
both with moving the line and taking your thoughts captive. It is a battle won or lost before it even happens. You have to be willing to decide here and now, I am going to give my all to God. Don't make the bullseye. Don't make your target not sinning. Make your bullseye honoring God in everything you do. Set up every question you have, every temptation you have, every desire you have. Make it obedient to Christ and say, if I do this thing, can I honor and glorify God in it? If you can, go for it. Have fun with it. But if you can't honor and glorify God in what you're about to do, we talked about it all during last series. Flee from it. So let me ask you a question. Are you ready to break free from your temptation today? Like, are you ready? Unless you actually say, I'm ready, you won't be ready. You will continue to fall into it. Like, do you look at the things that are tempting you today, the things that continue to take your love from God, and you're ready to live free? Are you worn out from them? Are you tired of falling into them again and again? Do you find yourself hating yourself because I did it again? It's time for you to pre-decide to move the line and to take your thoughts captive. Because here's the reality. The devil is coming for you. He will set stumbling blocks up in your life every day. It is a battle won or lost before it even begins. You have to wake up in the morning and pray, Lord, protect me from any desire that is not in your will and give me the strength to resist temptation that may come. And I get it, doing these things may be challenging, may take work, and it really, let's be honest, it's hard work sometimes. It might be the unpopular phrase, but sinning is fun, isn't it? It's because it's what your flesh wants. It wants that sin. It wants that temptation. It wants that Twinkie. But why, maybe you're sitting here asking Josh, why is pre-deciding so necessary? I still don't understand why. Because this, why wouldn't I try and resist temptation in the future when I have the power to eliminate it today? If you pre-decide to set up your boundaries, to move the line, to take your thoughts captive, then you are going to eliminate the possibilities of it today. But why wait until it happens tomorrow? So I have a question again. Are you ready to break free from your temptation today? Because no matter what you've fallen into, no matter what you've done, no matter how many scars you have in your smile, no matter how many times you've gone back again and again and again, There is a God with a love so amazing that he says, I still love you. And I'm offering you freedom from it today and forgiveness from your sin if you only 
accept it. So are you ready to break free today? You can only be as successful as you are ready to be. Our leaders can't help. I can't help. Mike can't help. Nobody can help you until you are ready to be free from it. So are you ready to be free today? If you are ready to be free, you know what you need to do. Leave today. Find someone you trust to help walk in this commitment to pre-decide to fight temptation by moving the line and taking your thoughts captive. Allow them full access into your life. And you have to be honest and transparent with them when they ask you, hey, have you sinned today? And if you have, you have to be willing to have a gut check and say, yeah. Find someone you trust and that you can confide in today if you are ready to break free from the temptation you're struggling with today. Let me close this in prayer.